Welcome to Digital Hospitality. I am your host, Sean Walcheff. This is a Cali BBQ Media production. Every single week, we talk about digital hospitality. Every business needs to be digital first, and every business needs to be in the hospitality business. But how do we do that? How do we use technology? How do we use all the tools at our fingertips to make that happen? So many people that listen to this podcast are in the restaurant business, hospitality business. You might be influencers. You might be in sales. You might be in marketing. Our job to teach you how to use that thing in your pocket, that smartphone, to create opportunities that you never thought would have existed. Uh, today's guest is a very special guest um, because this person I've been reading, I've been reading and looking up to and admiring the work that he's done since we opened um, the restaurant uh, in 2008. So we opened Cali Comfort uh, in 2008. And when we opened, I knew that I didn't know anything. So I needed to learn from the people that actually knew I needed industry resources. And what did I do? I went to Google and I went to Google and I searched restaurant owner information, restaurant owner education. And sure enough, restaurantowner.com tagline, a good restaurant owner is always learning. My grandfather taught me, raised me. I never met my father, but he raised me with education, education, education. You always have to have a thirst for curiosity. Know that whatever you know today, you might not know tomorrow. Be willing to ask questions. Be humble. be, Be in a position where you can grow. And today's guest, Jim Lobb, is the founder and publisher for RestaurantOwner.com. Welcome to the show, Jim. Well, thank you, Sean. Appreciate you inviting me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Honor. And thank you for those kind words. I don't know if they're that deserving or not, because (laughs) you, you, you are a voracious learner and, and I think you learn pretty quick too. So, (laughs) well, I mean, mean, that's a lot of what I want to talk to you about today. It's because, you know, somebody with your experience in the hospitality space, the restaurant space, but also the publishing space, you know, we're a restaurant that, considers themselves a media company. We produce media content. We put on a podcast. We put on a YouTube show. We produce a blog. We do all kinds of different things to share our journey and also to let our listeners know that they can also do that for their village. You can be the voice of your village. Literally, I remember reading your magazine, um, Restaurant Startup and Growth, which is also a part of restaurantowner.com, Barry Schuster, who's become a close friend. And I can't believe that, you know, I've developed a relationship with these two titans that have been leading the industry literally for independent restaurant owners. I, the number one thing when anyone comes to ask me, I'm thinking about opening up a restaurant, what should I do? I tell them to subscribe to restaurantowner.com before you do anything. Before you do anything, subscribe to that Spend the $29 a month and start reading the content about pre-opening. This is what you need to do before you open up a restaurant. And once you digest that and then ask questions and, you know, go through the business plans, then decide, are you really ready to go raise the money that you need to open up this restaurant? Um, And it's something that I still use today. I mean, it's the most valuable tool. And uh, I'm just really, really excited to have you on the show. Oh, well, thank you, Sean. Again, thank you for those kind words. I really appreciate it. So tell us and tell the listeners, give, a, give us your, your background so people can get a better idea of, of how you got to where you are. Yeah, I started, just just a, just the Reader's Digest version, I started in this restaurant like I'm sure a whole lot of people do. I know you did. I started when I was, well, I was a teenager. Um, I had a neighbor that had a corn dog stand and a, and a foot-long hot dog stand, and he went down into the fairs in Ohio. I, I grew up in Michigan, and uh, he would go from fair to fair all, all summer long, and I started working with, with him when I was 14, so... Um, he also had a 
had a peanut roaster and I used to sell peanuts in the grandstands um, at night. And uh, now, why, why were you work- Did you need the money or you just saw what he was doing was exciting? I, I thought it was fun. I mean, it was fun. It, it got me away from home. I mean, there, there was a <laughs> sense of freedom and independence when you're 14, 15 years old, even though you're working every day. But it was just kind of neat. And you're taking cold showers where everybody, where all the other carnies would, you know, would go. Sure. You'd sleep, yeah, you'd sleep in trailers and, the, you know, and uh, and it was kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was my first uh, that was my first introduction to food service and restaurant and and meeting and serving the customer and uh, and all that. Well, so you so you started in the vending business, which is very fascinating because uh-huh. that's it's uh, it's an it's a huge business globally a huge business oh yeah um, but yeah. talk talk about the progression of of what did you do um what did you do next after, after you well, got in after that i went i uh, uh uh after high school i went to college went to school at michigan state university and and uh i had uh i was a server going through high school i was a bartender going through high or or through college and uh so i got more more exposure uh, at a at a real bricks and sticks type, uh, brick and mortar type place rather than a, uh, rather than a hot dog or a corn dog trailer. Um, <laughs> right. so, um, and, uh, you, you made good money and you had fun. You stayed out late and you partied after work. And, uh, so it was, uh, it, it was a fun time. And, uh, I, I'd always liked the industry, but I, uh, I got an accounting degree and I went to work for a public accounting firm in Houston. Uh, I wanted to get out of the cold weather. So after graduating from Michigan State, I went south and worked for one of the big uh, public accounting firms. But one of my one of my clients early on was a barbecue restaurant chain by the name of Luther's. And okay. uh, um, I was on that uh, on that audit team. And uh, lo and behold, they offered me a job. Uh, they lost their controller. Um, after two years in public accounting, I decided to take that job and I became their controller, eventually became their chief financial officer. And then after about three years, there was a uh, the owner of the business, uh, owner of the chain, sold a, a big part of it. And I had the opportunity to go to work for this bigger company or stay with him and develop some new concepts. I decided to stay with him. Mm-hmm. And at the time, he only owned uh, he only retained two restaurants and I decided to go into operations. So I became a, a restaurant manager trainee for a while, actually went into management for a little bit. And uh, after doing that for a few years, I decided, well, I know a lot about the restaurant business. I know uh, accounting and I'm going to open up my own, my own accounting firm and consulting firm and specialize in food service. And uh, um, I had a lot. I didn't realize how much I had to learn. What I did, Sean, I got a number of small independent clients, uh, primarily a a small, small independent client business. And one thing I learned right out of the shoot is, man, these guys don't know anything about numbers. They know nothing about um, what their food costs should be or their labor costs. And they could be making so much more money. Yeah. So I essentially started becoming kind of a consultant. And Luther's, we had some pretty good systems with respect to inventory control, food costs, labor costs. And they we were very numbers driven uh, at the barbecue chain. And um, uh, so I started uh, teaching or working with my clients and I saw the improvements that they had and uh Sean, I did that for about seven or eight or nine years. I forget exactly how many, but I got tired of working with numbers and uh, 
um, doing financial things. And I prepared financial statements for these folks as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always wanted to teach. So I ta- I saw these two guys that, that conducted a, a seminar every year. Uh, they were from they were from Seattle. And I had to take continuing education credits to keep, keep my CPA license. So I, I went there and saw these two guys. One was a CPA. The other guy was an operational guy, a restaurant guy. And they did a, did a, uh, a program on restaurant controls and systems and things. And they gave eight hours of continuing education to CPAs. And, uh, um, I looked at these guys. There's a room full of about, oh, about 150 people all paying about 120, 130 dollars each. And I, I did the math and I said, gee whiz, this could be a good business. Yeah. So after a couple of years, I started preparing that course and I went to the Texas Society of CPAs and I said, can I develop, can I do a restaurant accounting and control course for you, for, for the association? And they, they agreed. They tested, you know, they, te- we did a test course, uh, uh, day, uh, and, and they liked that. So they set me up with six or seven, uh, uh, courses the first year all, all around the state of Texas. And I did that for a year. And then I opened up my own shingle and I started buying mailing lists of CPAs and restaurant, uh, uh, restaurant owners and, uh, people that worked in food service, service and hotels and country clubs. And I mailed out a bunch of brochures and I would go from city to city, um, and conduct this one day a course on restaurant accounting and controls and, uh, did that for four years. Got totally burned out on traveling. Did fifty to sixty <laughs> programs a year, but I was all over the all over the United States, and sure. I decided to drive to save money. I packed all the brochures and my audiovisual equipment in my van, and I, I just drove off into the sunset. And my wife did all the administrative and registration work and things like that. And wow! So she she was back home. She didn't travel with you. No, no, we were starting to have a family then, so she was she was home. Plus, we had to have, in those days you had to have somebody answer the phone at home too. So. Yeah, right, an actual yeah. landline. I don't exactly. know. I don't know how many people listening to this podcast know what a landline <laughs> is, but right. yeah, yeah, that was another expense that we no longer have in most households. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so that leads to what? Well, um, after I started getting tired of uh, of traveling, and my daughter was born in '95, and after a couple of years of that. Um, um, I had this guy give me a call. He he attended one of my programs and I had put in some of my content up on the Internet. The Internet was just, you know, in, in its infancy in 96, 97. And this guy was a uh, um, ex-executive of Frito-Lay. And he told me, I always wanted to open a restaurant. And I found your website and I put a lot of articles and, and spreadsheets and some some forms and things up there. And I wasn't charging any money. I just thought I'd put it up and wanted to see what happened. He says, Jim, I've printed out about 150 pages here of really good stuff. You need to be charging for this. I said, well, that's that's kind of interesting. And yeah. uh, I took that idea and I went and saw my, you know, my web, uh, my web design lady. And she knew a guy who could do programming. And we went to him and he he used to he worked for NASA. He was moonlighting. He worked for NASA at the time. He was a really <laughs> awesome. sharp guy. There you he go. made kind of a makeshift membership site to it where I could. Uh, charged credit cards and let them into this member area. It was very rudimentary, but the first month I had it open, I had 20 new members and made almost $2,000. That's so, incredible. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's 19, how we started. 1998? 1998. Yeah. So do you remember registering regist- uh, restaurantowner.com? 
Yes, I do. Yeah. Were there yeah. any other na- were there well, any other names that you? No, I did, I, that was the only name. Na- I don't know how I thought of it or where it came to mind, but I went out there and searched, and it was available, so I got it. I wish now that I had gotten a whole lot of other domains at the same time. <laughs> sure, <laughs> but I only got that one. Yeah. Uh, how much was it? Do you remember? Oh, gee, it was just. I mean, it was fifteen. No, nobody else had it. I mean, it yeah. was just. Yeah, it was available. So, yeah. So, so the idea to launch a website in 1998, I mean, I can't going back to 1998 and then putting content on the internet that you've created, you know, and then deciding to start a subscription business, which is now very familiar to people, but we're talking yeah. 22 years ago, it was not familiar, let alone right. the, check, the checkout process and making exactly. sure, you know, people yeah. putting their credit card information online. Yeah. It was just totally, you know blazing, you know, blazing a trail in those days. Yeah. So, so talk about the early, the, the startup and growth of, of, of RO.com, of restaurantowner.com. Tell me, tell me the, the, the bumps and hurdles. Cause you're building a community, you know, yeah. you're becoming a voice for the community right. and then you need to aggregate right. other voices to help share more stories. Right. I'm sure right. you learned a lot on your van tour, putting on these events, you know, talking to independents, the things that worked well in your seminars and the other struggles oh, we talked yeah, about absolutely. afterwards, yeah. like, Hey Jim, like I really appreciate that information on prime yeah. cost, but I've yeah. got this problem. I can't right. hire, I can't do right. this. I was constantly updating that course. I mean, I would used to drive my wife crazy because even when I was home, I was still <laughs> we all? I was updating. I was incorporating story. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I knew the power of stories even back then. And I know yeah. you are really keyed into that, obviously. <laughs> So what, what what were the stories that started resonating? I mean, talk about the content, you know, how, how you started laying out the site. Well, uh, it was, I, I, there was, to tell you the truth, there was really no grand plan to, at, at the beginning. And what I was really focused on because of my background and what I was, what I knew worked from experience is I focused in on the, on the, on the business side, on the financial management side of a restaurant. Yes. I mean, I would talk about, um, about the chart of accounts, about reading a P&L, understanding the balance sheet, um, because there was so much value in just teaching operators about how to manage their numbers and how they could use that to grow profitability, to make better decisions, um, just that whole level, increase it, enhancing that level of sophistication. I mean, showing somebody why they need to do a physical inventory, you know? Getting people to do a physical inventory back then, and even now in a lot of places, is, is just unheard of. But you can't – if you don't have accurate numbers, then you really don't know your business. You know, it boils down to that. Yeah. And we, well, and that has resonated with so many, so many members over the years that they finally started to get it once they started to understand their numbers and use what their numbers were telling them to then make adjustments and change course and modify this or start doing this or – Focus on on those types of things. And uh, I mean, you know, inventory control is absolutely huge. Yeah. Huge. You know, portion control. I mean, how much you buy, the quantities, uh, inventory turnover, um, you know, cash flow. It's, cash flow has been huge this last year. You know, sure. those people that knew how to manage their cash and understood their numbers and saw the devastation that lower you know, having to close the dining room, for example, cause and stuff and being able to react um, uh, and, you know, talking to, to, to landlords and trying to delay payments. You know, um, all that worked to the benefit of those people who had some financial sophistication and understanding. Um, 
Well, I, I know that we're living proof, Cali Comfort Barbecue is living proof that your soapbox that you kept preaching and publishing content and saying, you know, a, a restaurant that doesn't have a weekly profit and loss statement will not be successful. This is why chains are successful. They understand their prime costs. They do a weekly inventory. Right. And you ingrain that so much right. into my head right. that, you know, my general manager and business partner, Eric and I, we said, okay, well, what do we have to do? We have to ask for help. You know, who can help us do that? And we found Restaurant Accounting Services, which is a firm out of Colorado that yeah. still used to this day that literally helps hold us accountable to do the work that you teach. You literally teach this has to happen. You know, everyone loves having a full restaurant and a full bar full of people and a waiting list. But like, if you don't understand your numbers, you're not running a profitable business. And I love you say, uh, saying that, um, Sean, because you outsource that so you don't have to have a team of people working on that internally yes. to give you those numbers to have that infrastructure there yeah um, well that's the beauty that's the beauty to be honest with you jim is what you know excites me so much about digital hospitality and anybody that tunes into this podcast is there's never been a time where the access to experts Right. Has been at such a reduced cost where there's technology through SaaS products, software as a service, where yeah. restaurant solutions, like I said, they're in Colorado. Right. But we have a whole infrastructure set up on our end to input our numbers, to input our, our inventory, to do our menu engineer, to do all these things that you talk about in your articles that allows us to not, you know, as a single unit restaurant, we don't have the, you know, the right. capacity to hire a CFO. Right. We have CFO level services that they provide, but, yeah. you know, that's the exciting part. And that's happening with marketing. It's happening with operations. There's so many things that restaurant owners can do now with their, with their smartphone. Yeah. They exactly. just need, they just need to know what, what's the technology. Exactly. Yeah. You're right. Great point. Great point. So, so tell me about, let's go back to 1998 and to 2000, the, the Y2K. I graduated high school in 2000. I don't want to age you, but I'm, I feel, <laughs> I feel old myself graduating high school. Um, in, in 2000, we were supposed to be, uh, Y2K. The internet was supposed to, to stop and earth was supposed to stop. Um, so was the rumor we, we, we powered on, um, but it was also the dot com crash. Right. Um, talk, right. Talk me through what what was going on with, in your household, and just trying to say, are we still doing this thing, or, or are we not? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. In two thousand, um, uh, the website was just kind of putzing along. I was doing a lot of speaking at uh, uh, trade shows, and uh, at the, at that time, the state associations were paying for speakers, and a lot of the distributors had had food shows and would hire speakers. And I was speaking at the National Restaurant Association a lot and uh, Pizza Expo and things of that nature. So that was a big part of what I was doing. I was so they were paying doing, they were paying you to speak. Yes, exactly. Good. exactly. That's great. Yeah. And I was still doing some consulting, but my heart was in the website. But I just couldn't get, I just couldn't get it monetized to the point where that could be my sole source of income. It actually took till 2004 when I switched to another a website platform. It was actually a membership uh, software package, uh, mm -hmm. app, if you will. Yeah. And sure. uh, and when I did that, and it took me about six months to make the conversion, uh, but it, it, and the name of the software is Membergate, as you can still buy it today. I mean, we're still on it. Um, it's uh, Cold Fusion, which has kind of been out there for a while, but it's now owned by Adobe, and Adobe still supports it. But... Uh, um, uh, after I switched 
to this new website platform, my business immediately doubled. Really? Yeah, probably even more than that. Yeah, yeah. What do you What do you attribute that to? Better SEO, better search engine yes, results. That was it. That was ninety percent right there. It was search engine optimized, and 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 at the time, you know, restaurant business plan, restaurant business, um, uh, restaurant checklist. I just think of anything restaurant related to systems and processes and and things in the restaurant and. You know, restaurantor.com would be in the top five. Yeah. yeah. So immediately I got all this traffic and my my homepage was reformed. I mean, it would look horrible now. If I showed you now, <laughs> I, I'd be embarrassed. But at the time. I would um, love to way, see it. That's, yeah, that's a great archive. Yeah. The way it's it was structured, it just made it appear as though I had just tons of content out there. And sure. I spent a lot of times on on really tweaking the uh, uh, the titles of the articles and the downloads and stuff to make them seem appealing and so on. And uh, yeah, it just took off. Yeah, it just took off. So the the user experience was important for you in the beginning, the the design and the experience of how people oh, absolutely. engage with your yeah. content and what they yeah. did, as right. well as the analytics of what what are they actually reading. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So what what was the next phase a- after the the platform switch and you started getting more members? So then then what do you do? Then well, you know, I needed help at that point. That. I needed exactly. help and I and I could afford help. So yep. I I tapped Joe Erickson. Um, I had met Joe back in my Luther's barbecue days, and uh, in fact, I had talked to Joe about going in the bar going in the seminar business with me, but he was busy. He was opening his own restaurants at the time, and he was had done some consulting himself, but he was available. Um, he was looking for another opportunity when I, when I tapped him in, uh, in the fall of 2004. And he started with me in that, in that either December or January mm-hmm. of 2005. Yeah. I think it was, I think it was in January, 2005. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I can't, it's, it's, it's amazing just for me to think back that, that there was only three years later that I, that I found restaurant. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Exactly. But then when you think about it, the Google and the search engines, the way that the internet is set up is it, it's set up for content. Right. So, you know, right. naturally, if you're producing great engaging content yeah. that people are staying on the site and engaging with, right. You're going to end up in better search results. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So and, and yeah, and back then, Sean, I had virtually uh, there was nobody out. There's a lot of people out. There's a lot of noise today. There wasn't sure. that much noise in, in in our space at that time either. So sure. I wasn't having to compete against um, you know all these other websites that are trying to get the attention of restaurant operators. So I, I'd love to hear your perspective of of legacy media versus basically what you guys are is it's new media. I mean, you're an internet site, you're early adopter, internet content creation, publishing site, um, educational driven mm-hmm. um, for a specific niche industry. But I'm assuming that whatever heavyweight, whatever the big Titans were that were the magazines that you were competing with, they probably saw, did they laugh at you? I don't even know if they knew we existed. <laughs> I'm really, I mean, I'm serious. Yeah. Really? I didn't, I hadn't, I didn't see anybody trying to get in our space or trying to compete with us in terms of search terms and stuff for, for several years. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And, I th- and there were a couple small people that were doing, you know, consultants that would put some stuff out and they would, they would show up. But as far as any of the big players, don't recall. I mean, if they were there, I didn't notice them. I don't recall. Yeah. 
at what point did you guys start marketing outside of just the, what you were doing internally to to drive traffic to the site? Not until about 2019. Really? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. That's that's operating lean and mean and but making an impact more importantly. Yeah. Growing your subscriber base and growing your membership, growing your community where you're a trusted right. source. I mean, the amount of restaurant podcasts, you know, Eric Cacciatore from Restaurant Unstoppable. I know you and Joe have been on his show. Sure. Yeah. Um, there's so many people that I talk to that are in the, the podcasting space, blogging space. I mean, you have such a incredible reputation and that reputation is because people know the value that you bring to their organizations, you know, as, as a voice of independent restaurant owners. Um, how do you, how do you build community? If, if you were, if you were giving a seminar on how to build community and an online community, what, what would you, what would you teach? Well, um, I think you have to know what people want to hear. Obviously that's important. The message, uh, that you're talking about, um, we've just been really fortunate in that. I think we've hit a, uh, a our message, I think, has really hit people where they're at. As I, as I talked about earlier, we really focused on financial and numbers and systems and processes early on. But we, we have now moved in more to um, uh, culture is just absolutely huge. And I really got excited about culture about seven or eight years ago. And I started reading everything that I could read. And I attended uh, workshops. And I went and visited Danny Meyer um, after reading his book and attended one of their workshops up there at Hospitality uh, HQ. And uh, um, and I went to uh, uh, workshops that are put on by Malcolm Baldridge Award winners, uh, Pal, uh, Pal Sudden Service out in Tennessee and Canaan Management in Austin, Texas, operators of Mighty Fine Burgers and, uh, and uh, Rudy's Barbecue. And, you know, the only two restaurants that I know of that have ever earned the Malcolm Baldridge Award. Um, and everybody we listen to in terms of the titans in our industry, people that are earning awards and, and like Danny Meyer, you know, just, you know, one of the best operators probably of our, you know, of our generation. Um, culture. The culture is why they're successful. They, they kept on talking about culture. And I really didn't understand when I first started this journey, I really didn't understand what culture was. Um, but once I once I got it, um, we started doing culture workshops and we did five or six or seven of them back in 2016, 17. Um, and they were great. We only invited 30 people to each uh, to each one. And it was very it was a two and a half day program. Um, it was just absolutely delightful. We'd be doing them today, except for um, except for, you know, where we're at right now in terms of live live programs. Um, but so so I, I think, Sean, to, to get back to your question about how you build a community, um, I think you got to find some common threads and that has to be kind of the core of your message. And I think we were just fortunate in that we built up a pretty big community on our we used to call it our best practice, our weekly best practice. And we got that up to a hundred thousand at one point. Wow. And, uh, um, we would just, I, I would spend a lot of time. I would really give our best stuff in those, in those little profit tips. Yeah. Um, the, the best insights I thought was possible. And, uh, I think we created a following through that. Um, we have a community, um, well, when people join, obviously there's kind of a natural camaraderie when you're an independent 
uh, operator and you meet another independent operator, right? you you know yeah. that. I mean, you it's could like a, it's like meeting another oh my pirate. Gosh. It's yeah, like meeting exactly. another pirate on the stormy sea. Exactly. <laughs> and, and one of the things those culture workshops that we did, Sean, is that uh, we would have time for discussion and we we'd get together in small groups and tables and things like that, and we'd give people like thirty minutes or forty five, and you'd almost have to. Uh, blow a blow a, a, a foghorn to get people to shut up and to get yep. back to the <laughs> because they just enjoyed and loved talking to each other so much and sharing experiences and ideas and things. Yeah. Well I I love that you say that because that's the essence of digital hospitality and storytelling. Right. I mean I that's what I've I've witnessed by talking to other independent restaurant owners, by talking to other business owners, people that are just doing different things. But exactly what you said, it's yeah, when you're top of mind, when you create content that's top of mind, that's the most valuable content that you can provide, like mm-hmm. a weekly a weekly um email profit tip, which I absolutely love. And, you know, I've give, given to all my management team and, you know, we've been reading since we opened the restaurant, but then, you know, you also have supplemented that with restaurant startup and growth magazine, which that is legacy media, but it's also something that's physical that comes once a month. And that reminds me, Hey, there's all these other resources. And it's, you know, when I talk to a lot of the sales teams that we work with, a lot of our mm-hmm. partners, um, they want me to talk to their sales teams and say, hey, well, how can you talk to a restaurant owner. And what I tell them always is you want to sell something. And I understand that, but a restaurant owner has 7,000, if not 70,000 things on their mind, whatever's top of mind and whatever you can help them with, you can go and figure that out. I don't care what you're selling, figure out the answer to that question. You become an ally, you become a partner to that restaurant owner. And then later on, you will be top of mind. Yeah. You know, stop worrying about what you're selling. Start listening. If you start listening to what's coming out of the restaurant owner's mouth, what's coming out of their staff's mouth, whether the managers, what are the pain points? And now, especially them on social media, they'll tell you everything that's they'll give you the pulse. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's great counsel. I hope I hope they follow through with that. Yeah. Because you're exactly. Hopefully. Right. Yeah. 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 And I, I think, yeah. you know, there's never been a time at least in my career since 2008, where the vendor relationship with a restaurant owner has been so reciprocal, Mm. where Mm. now, especially with all these tech companies that are coming into the restaurant space that are offering solutions to problems that we all have, they need us just as much as we need them. Right. Right. Because they have a tool that's going to help us be more efficient to, you know, put out a better quality product to be more profitable. But they also need feedback from us independent operators so that they can improve their product. Right. Absolutely. You know, once once and it's not just in the restaurant business, it's any business. Once you start not taking for granted those relationships, Mm -hmm. start to understand that all of these companies are going through a digital transformation. Yeah. How they fundamentally do business. Yeah. Um, You start to understand, well, I've been doing business with this company for 13 years and they sell me, I don't care, linens Mm -hmm. and maybe they don't do any external marketing, but if I become a case study and I'm willing to say, Hey, this is why this linen company is great. They understand our culture. They understand why it's important to our guest. Now, all of a sudden they have something that they can share and I know that it's valuable. So, you know, this is kind of like the rising tide of the digital entrepreneur in ways that just as one person, you can have a voice if you're willing to use the internet and the smartphone in ways that, you know, typically a lot of restaurant owners don't use. Yeah. 
Well, that's uh, that's why I appreciate you so uh, so much coming on restaurantowner.com and doing that webinar and educating other independent restaurant operators with respect to the power of digital marketing and digital hospitality and uh, uh, give them some insights in terms of how you've done it and the success that you're achieving because of it. So. Well, I'd love to hear your perspective of, of social media, you know, because we went from Web 1.0 to Web 2.0 to now whatever we call the Internet as, as it is today. Yeah. But yeah. it's a crowded space. It's an intimidating space, um, especially once you start talking about media, marketing, social media management. You know, how do you right. produce content? And our job is to make it easier. You know, right. we, we need to demystify the Internet. We need to demystify the smartphone, the thing that we take for granted. I mean, we take for granted this thing that's in our pocket. Right. Um, but it's where everybody's attention is. Yes. So your attention's there. Back to being top of mind. How do you, as a publisher, figure out new ways to be top of mind on those different platforms? Right. Right. Well, we have enlisted the help of a local marketing firm to help us with that. Mm-hmm. And we have just recently in the last few months really increased our presence on social media. And we're redesigning all of our website, our social media platforms to have a consistent look and everything. Um, so I must admit, we're, we're really late to the party on that. I mean, you were, you know, decade, <laughs> about a decade ahead of us. <laughs> well, I, of I, really. it was out of pure survival. Yeah. It was yeah. out of pure survival. We yeah. needed, we needed to pound the pavement or pound the internet to get yeah. somebody to care about what we were doing to stay. Yeah, well, hey, that, uh, that location, you know, that challenging location really was a blessing. Yeah. It was. It yeah. was forced you into that. Yeah. True blessing. Yeah. So, and and you brought on you brought on the the help of your daughter. Yes. Yes, we did. But what has she What has she been doing at restaurantowner.com? Because I love the work that she's doing. Well, well thank you. She is she is doing all of our hospitality customer service. She loves people. She was a hospitality director for a a small high 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 end chain in Memphis until she was up there living on her own. Um, and then the, uh, uh, pandemic hit and her job was essentially eliminated and, or she could have stayed and done some other, but she, we thought it was a good time for her to come home. Plus I really needed her here, um, to do what she's doing now. Um, she creates the content, she does the videos, um, she writes articles, she conducts work, online workshops. Um, so, um, and she's only 25, but, I really believe in that year that she was up in Memphis, she got about 10 years worth of experience. Sure. Um, she was put into challenging positions. It was a new position and she got to do a lot of training, working with hostesses and servers and so on and so forth. So, um, so she comes with a lot of experience as well. And she was a server in a hostess before that as well, too, um, before she went up there. Yeah. Yeah. So she, she's creating video content for you. Yes. That yeah. video, that video yeah. content lives on YouTube, correct? And on the uh, website. A lot of it does. Not not all of it, but a lot of yeah. it does. Yeah. Yeah. On our YouTube channel. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what is the what is the reasoning behind publishing on YouTube? Uh, basically, it's just uh, it's just to get the word out. I mean, there are lots of people out there uh, looking at videos, especially especially I think a lot of wannabes. Yeah. People that want to open a restaurant and uh, I think they go look looking for things. And, and we, we would like to help people get into the in- industry. We'd like to talk them out of it first. <laughs> really. I, and, and, and I say that kind of in jest, but, but I'm really serious because unless you because if you if you haven't owned a restaurant before, you have no idea what you're getting into. 
No. Even if you worked in a restaurant, you have no idea what you're getting into. That owner uh, position. Even even getting that. into a ghost kitchen, you have no idea what you're right, getting into. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, yeah. we, we were on location today at our ghost kitchen and it's taken us, you know, three months past when we thought it was going to be open outside of our control. But yeah. we're in there and looking at all the other, you know, ghost kitchens, knowing that so many of them don't have a brick and mortar, yeah. and how brutal it is yeah. to be expecting this place to be open, yes. to be trying to staff for it, to try and understand your menu, to launch in a pandemic, yes. a new concept in a ghost kitchen. I mean, the, yeah. the, the challenges are pretty much like opening in on Spring Valley on 2008. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Global recession. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, a tough business just got a whole lot tougher. You have to have tough skin to be in this business, but yes. there's never been a time where it's been so easy to access resources like restaurantowner.com. Like, you know, the amount of resources through podcasts, through YouTube, through published content, through industry insight, um, it, it's, it's so easy to access, which is even more a reason why people need to spend the time doing the, doing the research, you know, but the problem that we have is that there's so many people that do research and they never do. And probably yeah. sometimes it might be good that they don't do. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but, but we recommend yeah. that, you know, definitely do the research and take that, you know, that cold bucket of water and put a dose of reality into what it actually will take, yeah. you know, especially when you're trying to, Come up with a budget. Right. How much money do I need to launch this right. truck, ghost kitchen, full service restaurant, whatever your concept yeah. is going to be? And then what are you going to do with that? I mean, what, what is the advice that you give? Well, um, <laughs> where well, do I, I start? We try to be real. In fact, I do a I do a full program and we give it away free for anybody that thinks that they want to open their own restaurant. And we just talk about the challenges and the mistakes that people make going into the business. And, and you know, there's a lot of mistakes that people make. And we're getting ready to redo that because we need to do a lot of our stuff post-COVID because so yeah. many things have, so many things have changed. One of the things that we're doing right now is we have a, uh, uh, a retired professor from Cornell who's, you know, for 15 or so years, she taught the business plan uh, course at Cornell to both graduate, uh, I think it was a graduate course, graduate level course, maybe it was an undergraduate too, but everybody in the class had to do a business plan on a restaurant. And I believe they worked in, they worked in teams. So she knows restaurant business plans, uh, you know, to the nth degree. So she's helping us totally, totally redo them, bring them up to make them current. We're going to have a separate one for a virtual kitchen type concept. And all of our other concepts are going to be you know, be able to to uh, to handle uh, numerous or, or different sales channels because even full service restaurants now are going to be doing delivery. They're going to probably be doing some some form of of curbside and so on yep. and so forth. So um, it's going to be able to accommodate that easily. Uh, so so we're really upgrading that that part of it. But getting back to people that think that they want to open up a re we try to be real honest to them and tell them that. Uh, it's it's a challenge. And even on your on your best day or even a, a successful concept, but still the profit margins are very thin. Yeah. Um, eight to eight to nine to 10 percent. You're doing pretty well. Now, obviously, there's there's marvelous exceptions to that. Um, yeah. There are restaurants still today that are 20, 25 percent net income. I mean, there aren't a whole lot of them. But in certain segments of our industry, uh, there are people that are still doing unbelievably well. Yeah. 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 
I think that's, you know, from us, from a personal standpoint, I mean, we've seen what technology can do when you start to, you know, have hybrid concepts, mm -hmm. you know, because mm. Toast has allowed us to integrate allow, you know, with a QR code, with a menu, kiosk ordering. I mean, there's so many things that are, are happening that the actual person, the hospitality host, a lot of the things that are usually required of them, let's say, you know, an integration like Otter. Otter mm -hmm. allows us to go from DoorDash to Uber Eats to Grubhub, but instead of having three tablets that in order, a customer orders, you know, wow. there's three different orders. Now they have yeah. to put that into toast. Well, Otter integrates all of that. So it goes directly into toast. Wow. So now you've wow. literally saved that time oh. that it would take one, possibly two hostesses to input that order. Plus yeah. the ability that they might make a mistake. Right. So right. Like that's the exciting yeah. part for us because we start to understand, well, that's going to have a on our on our prime cost it's going to yeah. have a true impact on our labor cost right. and that is exciting that doesn't mean that there's going that we don't we believe in technology eliminating all jobs right the restaurant business the hospitality business that's a human business right you know, right. so we have to bridge the gap and understand, well, what does a human that's operating in our restaurant, taking care of someone in real life, but also someone online, right. what are their job responsibilities are going to be? And, you know, honestly, it's going to be a much more challenging and exciting job, I believe, mm -hmm. yeah. um, because they're going to have to use their brain. And that's, yeah. the, that's the heart of, it's not about automation. Um, it's about patient. Right. And those touch points now, those person to person touch points are going to be more important than ever. So in terms of yes. hospitality, genuine hospitality, um, yeah, you uh, people have to have their game face on and they need to, you know, be able to, to to greet and do all those things that creates those positive feelings in their customers. Uh, it's going to be more important than ever. Absolutely. Yeah. So can you tell us, tell me a little bit about the pain points um uh, that you've been seeing during the coronavirus, you know, in the forums, as far as restaurant owners giving feedback or asking questions, what are the the themes or things that they're struggling with? Well, Sean, it's really all over the board. I think um, uh, technology is a big one. People are uh, overwhelmed. They know they they know they need to incorporate new technology into their operations, and there's so many choices out there and so they're asking a lot of questions regarding technology. Um, obviously, the uh, the PPP and government assistance yeah. has been absolutely huge. And the first round of PPP was absolutely a godsend to many, many people. Um, yes, uh, we've heard us included. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we didn't get we didn't get the first. We technically got the second of the first round. Oh, did you? OK. Yeah. So we, we missed out on the first. We got the second. Now we've applied. Yeah. Technically yeah. second, I yeah. guess. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And we've had a lot of people just come and just, you know, I just don't know if I can go on. I mean, they're just down. They just need they just need some encouragement, you know, Yeah. Um, uh, because basically their their world was turned upside down. I mean, when you closed, didn't you feel like you just had the rug pulled out from under you and just kind of blindsided? And, you know, where do we go from here? Um, but. You probably felt that way about 30 seconds and then you started <laughs> you started creating a plan and doing something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we've never been one to, you know, to to worry about things outside of our control. Yeah. 
Um, you know, it's, this, this is what it is and what can we do about it? Um, you know, we view it as an opportunity and an opportunity to do what we had already been doing, just do it at a much quicker pace. Right. Right. And another thing, Sean, was the employee issue, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, you know, how do we, how do we keep people safe? Uh, you know, I had, we had several operators who said, you know, I'm not going to take a chance on, you know, having anybody on my staff get sick, you know, not knowing exactly what this COVID, what it, what it was all about yet. And the, you know, the, and, and the health risks that uh, we were asking people to go through um, and exposing guests and employees. So, um, yeah, those are, I tell you what, those beginning first few weeks and months were, were pretty difficult, um, obviously, just because there were so many uncertainties and we're still dealing with uncertainty, but, but at that time it was just overwhelming. So, so if somebody's listening to this podcast and, you know, they, they have an idea for a subscription based, educational based niche media company, what would your advice be to them to, to, to launch, to launch their own, their own, their own version of restaurantowner.com, but in a separate space? Boy, Sean, that's it. You know, I'm sure glad that we started back in 1998 because I sure wouldn't <laughs> want to be starting restaurantowner.com now. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the truth. The truth. I mean, really? Because well, I mean, I can't imagine how much content you've the, the amount of pages of wealth of information that happened even at 2004 when yeah. you first made the yeah. switch. Let alone 16 years after. Yeah. Um, you know, navigating and making it easy to find all that, which I know you guys have done an incredible job of. Yeah. Like that's a lot of work. Yeah. Oh yeah. So the power of the site and that's also the value to the members. Yeah. 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 So I I really don't have a good response. Um, There are lots of people out there. I think that, you know, that are good at guiding people with respect to careers and creating new businesses in the digital space. Um, um, I'd have to, I'd have to think about that, Sean. Okay. Just, yeah. I don't want to shoot from the hip and lead that's anybody fine. astray. Yeah. yeah. Well, what kind of advice would you give to somebody that's in the hospitality business? That's currently that they're, they're in it operating in it. What, uh, what's your, your advice to them for the future? Well, advice right now. Um, I really believe that if, uh, if people can make it through this tough winter, I really think there's going to be, uh, there's a lot of pent up demand, I believe, out there. Um, and based, I just got done reading the, uh, the NRA just came out with their 2001 industry. What do they call it? Uh, their, their industry, uh, uh, state of the industry, uh, report. Yeah. And, and they found from their surveys that they've done is there's a lot of pent up demand for people wanting to go get back into restaurants again. Um, sure. Uh, they 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 like the the curbside. They like the delivery model, but uh, there's I don't think there's going to be a substitute for actually going into a nice restaurant or sitting down no. with friends and family um, and not have to worry about dishes and yeah and getting. We just like to get out of our own space. I mean, we've got, I've got a nice house, but I tell you what, it's nice to get out. I get t- I get buggy <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm around too much, and I'm sure you can identify with that. I've, absolutely, I absolutely. Yeah. We we you, support we support so many local restaurants, and you know we have small kids, and even with small kids, we love going out, and right. just because you know it's an experience for us. Yeah. Plus, we know it's supporting you know other other small businesses in our area. So yeah, and and Sean, this is sad to say, but. Um, you know, when things do hopefully get back to somewhat uh, more normal as a, or more like they were and not having to, 
to deal with this pandemic issue, um, there's a lot less competition in a lot of markets. You yeah. Know? Um, the NRA said in their report that 110,000 restaurants have gone under um, oh, wow. in the last year. 110,000. Yeah. That's so many. And the average length of time that those restaurants have been in business was 16 years. Wow. The average time. Yeah. Average time. That's yeah. amazing statistic. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine so, the the legacy restaurants that had in order in order to get that average. What kind of, you know, we're talking yeah. like eighty years, seventy years. Well, they said years. they said that over eighteen percent, over sixteen percent were uh, um, had been open thirty years or more. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So the the places that multi generations ate right. at, exactly. that celebrated yeah. at, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's tough. Which means which means what? There's a lot of uh, uh, a lot of people out there. Um, that their favorite restaurants or their top four or five restaurants that they continually went to, I mean, they're no longer there. So they're looking for new restaurants to go to once yep. things turn around to a sufficient degree. And there's incredible hospitality professionals that are out of work. Right. That's a good point, too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jim, I uh, I can't thank you enough for the the resource that you've provided. I, I I say this on multiple podcasts that I go on, but restaurant owner, the content that you guys have done truly, truly has allowed us to stay in business and to thrive. Um, I never thought there would be a day where I'd be interviewing you on a podcast, but I think you know by by showing this is what's possible. Um, hopefully the people that listen to this podcast, no matter, no matter what, what, what business you're in, no matter what industry you're in, um, the, the people that you surround yourself with, it's so important to surround yourself with positive people, pragmatic people, people that are going to give you the advice that you need. They're going to also hold you accountable. They're going to tell you the stuff that you don't want to hear. Um, and especially when it comes to business, because if you want, if you want to be successful, you've got to find out, you know, the people that are best at their craft. Well, Sean, thank you again for those for those words. I mean, I am I am humbled and uh, um, so appreciative. And let me just tell tell you that I'm just really proud of what you've been able to accomplish. I mean, you're just amazing. <laughs> you're, you're amazing with what with what you've done and the way you're so giving in terms of telling other people what you've done and being there to support other people in so many ways. And uh, let me just say that we appreciate so much that after you did your webinar, there were all these questions that we couldn't get to during the webinar. And you took the time to answer every single one in writing and get that back to us. Um, and that is just uh, that's just so commendable. I'm just just so thankful for you doing that. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Well, we can't we we look we learn we learn by multiple different ways. Right. But number one, if, if we're going to go out there and say that digital hospitality is taking care of people online the way that you would in real life, then you better do it. You know, well, you, you better actually exemplify that. Thank you very much. And, and Jim, thank you. Um, thank you for, to Joe. Thank you to Barry Schuster. Um, you guys, seriously, we, we can't thank you enough for the work that you continue to do to support local independence, um, to help us thrive. And uh, like I told you before, I know that as the internet evolves, this is no longer just a national restaurantowner.com. You're going to have members. You already have members all over the globe. Yeah. But um, the way that technology works with translating languages, um, it's going to be very interesting and very exciting um the, the next the next ride for for restaurantowner.com well we so appreciate uh, that sean and it's been a real real pleasure thank you again for inviting me to be on your podcast 
Absolutely. So remember to stay curious, get involved, ask for help. If you need anything from us, Sean at CaliBBQ.media, and we will put a link in the show notes to to Jim, to all the incredible work they do at restaurantowner.com. And uh, we will catch you guys next episode.